CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist-recommended facial moisturizer brand. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Hello and welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast. I'm Janine Olive's food editor and I'll be your host for this episode. This week, we visit the rooftop allotment of the dairy in Clapham to pick up some urban gardening tips. And later on, I'll be doing battle with Chief Sub Gregor over who has the best no-cook recipe. But first up, a preview of the October issue and a chat about bacon trends with cookery writer Anna. The new issue's out this week, and um, one of the great things we've got in there is a, a baking feature, and it's kind of modern baking trends. We've noticed that people absolutely love bacon, obviously the Great British Bake Offs on TV, and then what we try to do every time we do a baking feature is pick up on some new things that, um, that people are doing. We look to the US quite a lot. Um, so I've got Anna, our cookery writer here, who tested quite a few of these recipes just to talk us through what's going in the new issue. Hello, yep. Anna. Hi. <laughs> Um, my favourite from this feature is probably the avocado courgette and lime drizzle cake. Because um, veg cakes are quite trendy, aren't they? They are. They have been for quite a while now. Yeah, it's almost a guilt-free <laughs> afternoon tea. <laughs> so there is sugar in there as yeah, well. Yeah, there's a little bit of sugar. But um, yeah, the, the avocado just makes it really silky and it's sort of a, it makes it really buttery. Um, and the courgette sort of makes it really moist. So it's a really nice one for sort of with a cup of tea. And it's quite green as well, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, it's got a really lovely sort of like thick icing on the top as well. So it's the sort of thing that, um, yeah, it'd be, be, be really nice for like a birthday cake or something like that. Yeah, so. one thing I've realised about... Um, avocado, because I've been using it a lot in, in things like smoothies, is it, it adds this kind of... Um, if you if you didn't tell someone you had avocado in there, you wouldn't know it was avocado. Um, it just adds a texture, but it also adds a kind of richness. Yeah. But it's not a kind of 
fatty, as in it's not a it's fatty, not buttery, greasy richness. It's just like a really silky richness. So mm-hmm. as Anna said, the sponge of this avocado cake, it's got this really undefinable silkiness yeah. about it, which is, uh, yeah, you've got to try it to see. Um, one of the other ones that are in here, and it's one of my favorites, is a um, s'mores cake or schmores. Ooh. Is it schmores or schmores? I, I think I'd say s'mores. S'mores. S'mores are a very American thing. It's... Um, it's a kind of a bonfire night treat, I think, and you toast marshmallows over a fire and then you sandwich them in between um, like the equivalent of our digestive biscuits with some chocolate. And what um, Sarah, who wrote the recipes, has done is she's taken the the idea of s'mores, or s'mores, and, um, <laughs> s'mores, and she has um, mashed it all up into a cake. So you've got a really lovely, quite dense chocolate sponge and the fill-in is another trendy um, ingredient, which is um, speculus biscuits. Yes. Uh, these are Belgian caramelised biscuits. Yeah. And, um, and recently, someone had the idea to make a spread out of them, and it's become really trendy. And I don't know if I can really... Um, I don't know, what do you think of them? Because, like, mushed-up biscuit spread? I secretly really yeah. like it, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm... I, can't eat uh, that many nuts and so that you know when oh, people right, yeah. have a spoon of peanut butter yeah. from the jar mine is biscuits you spread. have a spoon of speculus yeah okay so what she's done is she's made the chocolate is in the cake and then the biscuit is a kind of biscuit spread filling icing and then she's got crunched up biscuits inside for crunch for crunch and yeah. then on top of it we've got a chocolate icing and there are tons of marshmallows and the marshmallows have been blowtorch so yeah. it's quite a crazy ott looking cake but um but yeah it really works and it's one of those ones that if you want to really impress people i would take that round definitely and we have to talk about the um the jamaican ginger cake that yes. we did because this has got a crazy crazy ingredient in it which is it's a fizzy drink yeah (laughs) it's super malt yeah now we got this idea or rather sarah got this idea because um again in the u.s it's huge to add things like coca-cola or ginger beer to cakes yeah and the science is that something um of the fizziness makes the sponge lighter and i'm going to say the m word more moist We've got this big deal about um, the, the M word. The M word. <laughs> I don't mind it, but um, a lot of people really hate it. Yeah, but you can it's see really a few di- people cringing. Yeah, it's really difficult to, to find another word to describe. Yeah, a cake. cake when it's got a little bit of moisture, like it's moist. <laughs> but anyway, um, so so you're making a ginger cake, and we're adding super malt, which is a fizzy malt drink, and it's just given this extra level of maltiness. And the sponge again is this really beautifully light sort of moist sponge and yeah. it has a sort of crumbly um biscuity topping as well so that's definitely one to try but um yeah these are all cakes which are featuring in our October issue um but we've also got tons of baking ideas online we I think do. we've got like several different baking uh, collections don't we so, we do yeah we've got loads of inspiration <clears throat> yeah so if you want modern baking inspiration by the issue um if you want even more inspiration, head to olivemagazine.com and check out our baking collections. But yeah, thanks very much for talking us through that, Anna. No problem. Thank you. Urban Food Fortnight starts on 9th of September and it's celebrating London's local larder and the produce grown in creative spaces. This week, digital writer Alex visited the dairy in Clapham to pick up some urban gardening tips from sous chef Ben Rand, including how to use bees to scare away crows.
So it's 9.30am on a Thursday morning and I'm stood on a rooftop in Clapham surrounded by herbs and beehives and all sorts. Uh, I'm not going mad, I promise. I'm here talking to Ben Rand from The Dairy and we're going to talk about some urban food gardening tips uh, because it's Urban Food Fortnight on the 9th of September. So Ben, yes. tell me how this all came about. Well, half of the restaurant is a flat roof and uh, it seemed a waste not to take advantage of the space we had. Uh, so three years ago when we opened, uh, we started growing things initially in um, window boxes and uh, we bought a couple of beehives and it's just uh, evolved from there. Um, and we've just, yeah, we've saved all our vegetable boxes uh, throughout the last couple of years and are using those to plant herbs in. Yeah, so they've got all sorts here. They've got... Um produce boxes, window boxes, old wood. They've, it's really like makeshift, but it's lovely because it's got real character. So we've got lots of things going around us, like rosemary and thyme, the usual suspects. But at Olive, we're rather geeky about our food. So we like weird and wonderful things. So what's the most exotic thing you've managed to grow up here? Well, uh, the most exotic thing, we were given a present by another chef who came and did a supper here one evening. Uh, and he'd spent the day at a farm... Uh, just outside of Brighton, picking his produce, and he brought back a stevia plant for us. Stevia is uh, the sugar substitute. It's uh, supposedly sort of several hundred times stronger or sweeter than sugar. Um, we didn't really find much use for it because it was so, so sweet, but it was pretty interesting and exotic to be growing and yeah, try. So did you use it in anything in particular? Did you like create a special dish for this or? Um, no, uh, we just found it too sweet. We tried <laughs> using it in a, we tried using it in the bar, shaking it into cocktails. Okay. Uh, and yeah, it was just too much. And I, to be honest, it's probably a plant that's meant to be grown in a lot warmer climate than South London. Oh yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so I understand you're from Norfolk. Um, so I imagine it's very different growing produce here. Uh, to in the lovely countryside. <laughs> um, what are the biggest problems that you've come across in London? I'm thinking pigeons, space, etc. Uh, yes, space definitely is a big issue. Uh, depths of soil is something that uh, we've sort of struggled with and evolved to give ourselves more um, longevity with the herbs by giving them uh, more soil for the roots to grow in. Uh, so that's the biggest yeah, and the biggest issue, and the biggest issue of space as well, in terms of just space to work in, it can be a little bit cramped and uh, can come across looking quite messy, although we tend to call it organic. Uh, okay, and do you have any problems with pigeons? Yes, uh, pigeons, or no, more crows actually. There's a lot of crows. crows. A lot of crows on the common, uh, and we've found that they do come and will kind of peck at new seedlings. Uh, and we found the best way of getting past that is to move the young seedlings in front of our beehives, and that seems to scare the crows <laughs> off. So don't touch the eyes, you'll be stung by bees. So speaking of which, I can see there's a few bees buzzing away over there. Um, how did this come about? Have you, how long have you had these hives? Uh, so we had the hives for um, almost as long as the restaurant, so about three years. Um, we just decided to buy the hives kind of with this why not attitude uh, and we yeah we first got them from they were from a chestnut forest in uh, Oxford when we first got the hives we first took honey out it was this really dark quite auburn brown colour very dark very treacly in flavour um, and yeah as we've gone into the honey over the years or even a few months later 
uh, it, the profile completely and utterly changed. Uh, obviously, adapting to what the the bees diet, uh, it was a lot paler in colour, a lot sweeter. And uh, was really tasted of elderflower as well, more than anything else. Oh, my favourite. I can imagine, um, like the rest of your herbs um, and stuff you're growing up here, it has a yeah, really unique fl- flavour profile. So um, that's what I love about the dairy, because it just ha- so happens to be my favourite restaurant. And I'm not saying that just because I'm here, I promise. Um, but it really is such a produce-led menu. And you can be really creative with what you do because of what you grow up here. What's the best thing about having this resource for you and how it affects your menu? Um, The best thing really is just being able to pick herbs uh, half an hour before we start a lunch service and half an hour before we start a dinner service. Uh, They just come with like a really true flavour of what the herb is, a really big flavour. And uh, the alternative would be buying uh, punnets of micro herbs that are probably picked several days in advance and grown in a greenhouse uh, Probably in Norfolk, actually, yeah. <laughs> or Belgium. Or <laughs> That's where you came yeah. from. <laughs> yeah, so that, and it's uh, just quite inspiring, I think, for the chefs to uh, be able to pick these things and use these things, and it will just elevate not just the aesthetics of a dish, but the flavour of a dish, just deliver a really big sort of whack of fresh flavour. Great. So, yeah, because um, I don't know if anybody's been to the dairy, but I really recommend coming down because the produce in it is is so fresh. And now I can see with my own eyes why. Um, But so coming back to Urban Food Fortnight, I struggle to even keep a cactus alive. But I have some Moroccan mint growing on my windowsill at the moment. Um, I can imagine lots of people wanting to grow things on their windowsills or on their doorsteps, even like using whatever they can. Do you have any tips for newbies like me about urban gardening? Uh, Yeah, I'd suggest perhaps going to a good quality garden centre, buying seedlings, so ready developed plants, rather than just planting your seeds yourself, so you're one step down the line. And then it's just a case of maintaining it, watering it regularly uh, and not letting it grow crazily out of control. Okay, great. Thank you. So lastly... Finally, London's a big place, um, but space is somewhat limited. And I can imagine you get um, pretty creative with your space. But where's the weirdest place you've seen something growing in the city? Um, the weirdest place would have to be uh, a company called, uh, in an underground system, a disused underground system. It's a company called Growing Underground. And they've taken uh, an old uh, tube line, disused tube line that runs from uh, Clapham North all the way to the other side, to Clapham South, the other side of the common, and they're just growing, um, hydroponically growing micro herbs and, uh, yeah, fresh herbs down there and then delivering it uh, to restaurants around the city. So that's pretty odd to be walking around these disused railway tunnels full of herbs. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what there is when you look a bit closer because you would never know this was here. Um, and I know there's a lot of people doing a lot of great things in the outskirts of London as well. I'm going to be speaking to somebody from Essex next week on the podcast about growing hybrid fruit and veg. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, in the meantime, thank you very much, Ben. And um, yeah, get down to the dairy when you can. Now book wars, and I'm going head to head with Gregor to decide who has the best no-cook recipe up their sleeve. Okay, no-cook recipes are really popular on olivemagazine.com. Greg is here to chat to me about no-cook recipes. First of all, I want to establish what a no-cook recipe is. Okay then, (laughs) hit us with it. What are the parameters? Well, um, 
people would say that using a toaster or a kettle is allowed, what do you think? Well, that would make life easier, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but are you essentially cooking then? No, no, not really. I don't think that's cooking, that's heating. Um, yeah, all right. I thought, yeah, I thought yeah. you'd be um, quite pedantic about it. Well, I think I am <laughs> That's not cooking, it's heating. Okay, so cooking is, um, if you were going to say no cook, it would just be something where you just don't turn on the grill or the, the cooker at all, or the pan. Yeah, well, I think I think cooking is where you're where you're basically altering something, turning one thing into another thing. Okay, bread to toast, but it's basically hot charred bread. Yeah. You know? But it's where I would say cooking is when you cook a couple of things together. That was so you're heating them at the same yeah. time as mixing them. That would be. Cooking. I know you're a big fan of toast because we've talked about it before. I'm a colossal fan of toast. Have you heard about the um, the phenomenon that is sweet potato toast? I have heard about that phenomenon and I am a skeptic. <laughs> I haven't tried it. No. But I don't think it's going to work. No. It's not going to work like bread. No. No. I mean it would just become like it, a it would just become a become a singed piece of yeah. Sweet potato. Sweet potato. It would probably stay no, raw thanks. as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would just be a bit burnt on the outside. <laughs> Unless it was wafer, wafer thin. In which case it would slip between the little bits of grill. <laughs> it's then, nightmarish enough trying to get a, a caught piece of toast out of that, never mind a very, very thin yeah, slipper of yeah, sweet potato. We're talking fibre grain yeah. here, aren't we? And <laughs> yeah. sweet potatoes have a lot of natural sugar, so I'm thinking it would burn. It would just burn. Right. So that's not that's not a good outcome for anyone. No, no, I think that's a disaster. Mm, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't no touch it with a badge pole. But back back to no cook. I mean I personally I I don't mind you know, putting a pan on for five minutes or mm. doing a quick fry of something or grill. But um but it's a nice idea. Um I've I've picked up this this lovely book that came in. It's been published this month and it's called um Spanish Made Simple by Omar Alaboy. Hopefully that's correct pronunciation of his name. Um and what I was looking for was one of my favourite recipes which is gazpacho. Because oh, yes. I love it and I find it really addictive in the summer. Yes, it's delicious. And I know it's really quite easy to make, um, but it's all about getting very extremely ripe tomatoes mm -hmm. and getting the balance right of all your all your bits. And he does have something like that, but it's even more exciting because what he does is it's called gazpacho de sandia or sandia, um, and it's um, chilled watermelon soup. Lovely. So you've basically got all your um, all your usual suspects: tomatoes, pepper, cucumber, onion, garlic, a little bit of bread, some salt, some sherry vinegar, which you whiz in a blender. But then you add loads of watermelon as well. I see. Uh, and I did. I have actually had this because he um, he was the founder of these restaurants called Tapas Revolution. And yes. I think there's a couple in London. There's also one in Sheffield and Birmingham. And they've actually got this on the menu at different points in the year. Um, and what it does is the watermelon brings this um, incredible kind of fresh... Again, it's one of those things where you can taste it, but with all the other ingredients, you wouldn't immediately know that there was watermelon in there. You would just get this really kind of fresh, summery sort of vibe to it. Yes. So... Um, I'm quite glad that I've got the recipe here and I'm, I'm going to try that when I get home. Um, and right opposite it is another melon soup. And I have had a, a version of this, um, which is honeydew, melon and mint and olive oil whizzed up. You serve it with serrano ham on top. 
Lovely. So basically, you know, that classic way of serving serrano ham and melon just yes. with chunks as a starter, with yeah. mint and a dressing. And this is just as a soup. So I just think that is such a gorgeous idea for, for summer or end of summer. I'm still in summer. For me, summer doesn't end until the end of September. Right. <laughs> yeah. For, for me, uh, the seasons are weather based. Oh, really? <laughs> Not in your head. Yeah, no. The seasons can come yeah. on. It's yeah, still yeah. summery right until no, the end no, of September. No, no. I mean, strictly speaking. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is, when, does is, summer, is it, when does summer end for summer you? Summer ends at the end of August. It's so it's, just, it's gone. It. It's, it's gone. gone. What, if it, what if it's really summery this weekend? Then you've got a really hot day in autumn. Oh, pedantic, <laughs> as I said. Um, but yeah, there's. A, it, I've just skipped through it. If you if you did want to cook, mm-hmm. if you did fancy cooking, mm-hmm. there's an amazing recipe in here, and I know you're going to get excited about this. Oh, yeah. It's. Um, I'm not even going to try and pronounce that. Um, Brunellos de bacalao. Bacalao. Bacalao, sock cod fritters. Brunelos. Yeah. Yeah, see, you're better at it. Um, and I absolutely love sock cod fritters. Um, and I got a good tip from a chef if you can't get a hold of dried salt cod, which is it can be a little bit difficult to get, um, which is you just really, really lightly salt some cod fillet and then leave it uncovered in the fridge overnight. Mm-hmm. And it, it does it. I mean, obviously, you're not going to get the dried salt cod flavour, which is quite intense. But what it does is it draws out all of the moisture, so you get this lovely creaminess. Lovely. So you just rinse it off the next day and start with that. So mm-hmm. that, that is one that I'm definitely going to go. And it's uh, served with a romesco sauce, which is lovely. So so what's your recipe, Gregor? Well, I, I've, I've, I've got a couple. Okay. One of them to to reach your stipulations of no of no of no cooking is uh, is so so it's uh, it's like the what you would do with spaghetti, okay. so it's spaghetti al crudo, except I would do it with with beans of a different type. Oh. So because that's one of my favourite dishes for eating on my own spaghetti al crudo. Okay. Is, what is, is like, al, what is the al crudo bit? So it's tomato. It's basically oh, it's completely sort of raw uncooked. Tomato sauce. So it's raw okay. tomato sauce. That's one of my favourite things to eat. To, if cooking for one, that's an absolutely brilliant one. So you just you know chop some tomatoes, some anchovies, yeah. um, some capers, some olives, black olives, and uh, I always put garlic in it as well actually. But then uh, and then with olive oil, mm-hmm. and you just leave leave that all together in a bowl while you while you cook your spaghetti. And then you mix it through. That's it. With you, you can put some thyme or some uh, some marjoram, something mm. like that, in with the in with the tomato, and then you put it through. And I I, I like a little bit of uh, balsamic vinegar in yeah. there as well. That just adds an extra little. Do you leave it for a while? Well, only as long as it takes to cook okay. the. Uh, and then because it because it goes quite silky, you yeah. can use the cooking water. Because it goes quite the, the longer you leave tomatoes, the sort of more the, liquid, the more liquid drain, they become. drains out. Yeah, of them, that's right. It? Yeah. yeah, but uh, but it, I, I prefer it with still a bit of bite to it. It's got a really lovely freshness to yeah. it, and just some basil leaves on the top. Nice. You don't need parmesan. It's but although I think that uh, what's the name for the fried breadcrumbs that, that that you do? Oh. Um, Oh, like not not gremolata. It's the other one, isn't it? It is the other one. I can't remember. Yeah, that um, <laughs> that goes very well, very nicely. When you it. kind of fry them with herbs and right. garlic yeah, and stuff, yeah. and then put them on top, like yeah. the poor man's parmesan. That's thing. the yeah. That's the colour. What is it called? I can't remember. <laughs> I remember. I knew when I was coming down here to do this, but I forgot. Anyway, it goes, it's so you it's get delicious. that little little bit of crunch. Bit so of if crunch. you allowed a little fry, that's what you would do with it. That's what I would do with it. Okay. But if I wasn't, I would just do that, and I would and I would do it with some white beans. Nice. I think. Butter beans goes particularly well with yeah. it, actually, because they, they've got that extra bit of bite and they're 
the the the, sm- the smaller ones it can get a bit lost in it and become too liquid but yeah. with this it makes it th- so all you need to do with that of course is rinse it and you could rinse it with boiling water to give it a yeah. little little bit of heat that's so nice. that's very nice but all, i mean all beans would work wouldn't they chickpeas would work all as of well them, yeah any pulse out of a can would any work. pulse out of a can would work. <laughs> i wouldn't do it with kidney beans that'd be weird I think it'd be all right, right. though. Yeah. At a push. At a push. If you were camping, grainy. if you were camping yeah. and all you had left was a tin of kidney beans. beans. Yeah, yeah. It'd be like the paleo <laughs> left in the fridge after a party. I, I meant Everyone's that, really yeah. down on kidney beans yeah. because they're, they're the, for them it's like the symbol of the 80s or something. But yeah. I think kidney beans are all right. I think give give them a chance. I'm sure they'll be coming back anytime yeah. soon. I mean, look at, look at what's happened with sweet corn. Well, has, I, I don't know. Has it come back? Sweet corn, yeah, it's everywhere. It's never come back for me. No, I don't like it. I'm sorry. Jane. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what was but your the, other one? Well, the the other one is uh, well, I, I, I was interested in in your recipe there for the soup. Yeah, it's really good one. Ayo blanco, I really like. Oh yeah. But I recently discovered this sort of Persian version, which is made with yogurt mm. and sour cream, and you mix it to get together with garlic and chopped spring onions. And uh, and that's more or less it, salt and pepper. Because Ayo Blanco's the is it almond? It is almond. It's it's so it's it's, it's whizzed up almonds, whizzed up almonds, oil. olive oil, bread. Um, yes, yeah, that's it. That's it. Bread's and like the thickener, and, and so is the almonds. Exactly. Yeah. And you can and you can do. There's an excellent um, recipe for that in the Moral Cookbook. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a really good recipe in the um, Hart Brothers First Book. Um, so, so they are the guys who do um, Barafina. Yeah, yeah. And um, where they where you can put grapes in it, yeah. Or, but they they I've have seen one that little halved white grapes with a drizzle of olive oil on top. Oh, that's really right, and they, and they also do it. Uh, Moro actually do it with cherries, oh. sour cherries sometimes. Yeah. And so, but you can you can do it with with all sorts of like little pieces of fruit like that to just give it a little bit of sweetness. Yeah, and a drizzle of olive oil on the top. Yeah, delicious. I think we've established that. Mm-hmm. The Spanish are pretty good at um, pretty good at no cook <laughs> The recipes. Spanish and the Italians. I mean, there's a reason for there that. There is a reason. They? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're chilled out, happy. Yeah, yeah. Well, lots eat. of sunshine. <laughs> it's it's hot enough. They don't need anything hot, do they? Yeah. You know, in in, in the summer months. Oh, thanks for all of those ideas. That's and right. um, yeah, if you want to buy Omar Alaboy's book, uh, it's called Spanish Made Simple, and it's been published by Quadrille in September. Um, as always, we've got tons of no-cook recipes on the website as well, so head there if you'd like some more ideas. Thanks a lot, Gregor. Thank you, Jean. Thanks for listening to the Olive Magazine podcast. Please don't forget to go and review and rate us on iTunes. For more information on things we've discussed in this episode, head to our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our new October issue now from newsagents or download the app version. Laura, the editor, will be back hosted next week, so see you then for more food and drink chat.